Good morning, everyone. Hey, great to be with you. My name's David, if I haven't met you. And hello to those as well watching on the live stream. Glad you could be with us as well. Uh, we've been going through Genesis, and Genesis uh, really brings up the big issues, doesn't it? Uh, we saw that today. Today is no different. Uh, today we're talking about human sexuality and marriage. Uh, big issues uh, in the Bible and in our world. Uh, and really, a significant event actually occurred this week uh, in relation to this at General Synod. Uh, General Synod is basically, it's a decision-making council of the Anglican Church of Australia. It's when they get together to make some decisions as a big, wide church. Happens about every three years. Uh, Roger and Louise were actually there this week as part of that group meeting. And one of the decisions that they were making this time around uh, was to clarify the understanding of marriage, uh, given the changes that had taken place in the Australian Marriage Act recently. And so they were asked to affirm the following statement, uh, which is up on the slide. I'll read it if you can't see it. Uh, so they were asked to affirm this, that the church reflect and uphold marriage as it was ordained from the beginning, being the exclusive union of one man and one woman arising from mutual promises of lifelong faithfulness, which is in accordance with the teaching of Christ, that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and in marriage a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, so that's the statement. It's a statement about human sexuality, male and female. It's a statement about marriage between one man one woman. And the Archbishop of Sydney, Kanishka Raffel, who you might know, uh, he said it was really an unremarkable statement. This is just what Christians have believed for over 2,000 years as we read it in the Bible. Uh, and even though that was the case, and even though the majority of people that were there uh, affirmed the statement, uh, when it came to the bishops who had the deciding vote, uh, they actually did not support it. They did not affirm this statement. And so as they were the authority in this case, and so it didn't uh, come through, so to speak, uh, for the Anglican Church of Australia, uh, which is really deeply disappointing. Many people were saddened by that, that that is the case. Now, what does this mean for us? You're probably thinking, what does that mean for our church? Uh, well, don't stress it right now. Nothing changes on the ground. Ministry and mission continues as it, as it always has uh, and always will here. Um, and we will continue to affirm that statement as we'll see today, as we go through the Bible. But what it's highlighting for us at this moment is the challenges that we face as Christians. It's a challenge to hold fast to the word of God and not to be conformed to the world. Right? This is not just a challenge for church, the wider church, but it's also a challenge for each of us individually because uh, these issues are very personal and they hit very close to home for many of us. Um, there's those people who are struggling with same-sex attraction in our families that we know, uh, people struggling with gender dysphoria, people suffering in their marriages uh, with separation and divorce, uh, people that just find it really hard to agree with the things the Bible teaches on these topics as well, when so many voices around them are disagreeing with it. Right, and these are people that are in our families, uh, in our workplaces, our friends, maybe even ourselves. Right, so we can see these are really important and complex issues. Uh, so as we're coming to this, I'm just going to pray now uh, that we would submit ourselves to God's word uh, and be gracious with one another in this. So let's pray together. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, we know these are uh, difficult, complex issues uh, that are very real uh, for us and our world at the moment. Uh, Father, we know your word is true and trustworthy and that you are good. Uh, Lord, help us to hear your word, uh, submit ourselves to it and trust you. And Lord, help us to be gracious with one another uh, as we hear you speak and as we speak to one another. And do this all in the power of your spirit and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I'm just going to look at those key passages we read today from Genesis and Matthew on this topic of sexuality and marriage. And I'm not going to be able to cover everything, answer every question. So here's a couple of resources for you that you might want to dig into if you've got more questions. Uh, the first one is a book by Claire Smith, which is called God's Good Design. That's a great book. Uh, hits on some of the key passages of Scripture that talk about this. I recommend you read that if you have questions uh, on this. Uh, and then if you want to talk to your kids about it, uh, Patricia Wirakun has written some great books uh, for young kids and teenagers that you can find in our resources, uh, or you can talk to Jen about those, and we can help you uh, find some good stuff to be reading and talking about with your families. <clears throat> okay, if you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be there mostly. And Genesis gives us the foundations of God's created order. That's what we see there. Um, and as we read about creation of men and women in Genesis 2 today, you might be thinking, didn't this already happen in Genesis 1? Have we already read about this? And yes, it did, but it's the same thing from a different angle. I like the way that Claire Smith put it in her book. Genesis 1 gives us like the Google Earth view of creation from above. But Genesis 2 gives us like the street view where you come in close and you see the details uh, up close and personal. And so before we then zoom in on the creation of men and women, I just want us to zoom in on God, right? the God who creates us. Because really, knowing the God who creates us is the foundation for trusting the way that he has made us. So the first thing to notice as we come to Genesis 2 is that God changes his name. Uh, did you notice that? In Genesis 1, he is God. In Genesis 2, he is the Lord God. Right, God is that, that kind of general name for God. But the Lord God, you'll see in your Bibles, you'll see it's written in small caps. Uh, it's God's personal name. Right, it is the name that God gives to those he is in personal relationship with. He gave it to Moses and to Israel because he was their God. Uh, and he gives it here. Uh, it's it's kind of like you might, you know, if someone says to me, oh, hello, Mr. Simmons, you know, how are you going? I'll go, don't call me Mr. Simmons, call me Dave. Okay, we're in a closer personal relationship with that. And so God is doing that here in chapter 2. And so what do we see the Lord God doing? We see the Lord God coming near to his creation. And we see him getting up close and personal uh, with people that he's made. So we see that. We see it in, in verse 7. We see God forming Adam from the dust of the earth. Okay, he's getting down and dirty to form the man. Uh, and then he's getting up close and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, right? The close talker, you might think. Uh, and then he's putting him in the garden. He puts Adam in the garden to work it and he notices something's not good. It's not good that Adam is alone here. And so he, he creates the woman. He does it by taking the rib from Adam's side, closing up the place with flesh, creating the woman. And then we see he, he brings her to the man. So God is, God is involved here. He's not distant and far off. Uh, he is near and intimately involved with his creation. Right, what is this telling us? 
It's telling us the God who made us male and female in his image uh, also loves us and cares for us and wants what is good for us. You know, and the way the world thinks about God couldn't be more different to that. You know, especially when it comes to sexuality and to marriage. Uh, They think, you know, God is out to get us. God is out to restrict our self-expression. You know, with his rules, God is trying to rob us of joy in all the ways he stops us doing the things he wants to do. And God is not like that. It reminds me of this scene from The Lord of the Rings. Hopefully you're a Lord of the Rings fan like me. If you're not, I'm sorry. Um, But it reminds me of this scene with Gandalf and Bilbo. And Gandalf, he's trying to get Bilbo to leave the ring behind when he goes on his journey. Because he knows the ring is corrupt and evil. It's not good for Bilbo. Leave it behind. But Bilbo thinks Gandalf is trying to steal the ring, to take it for himself because he wants it. And so they have this argument. And then finally, Gandalf just says to him, I wish that you would trust me like you used to. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And God is like that with us. God is not trying to rob us of joy. He's trying to give us the fullness of joy that he created us for. So as you think about men and women and marriage, this is the foundation for trusting the Bible. The God who made us, loves us, uh, he knows what is best for us. And living his way is the best way to live. And so when God speaks about these things, we should be trusting him, even if it's hard for us to understand. Okay, so now let's, with that in place, let's zoom in now on the creation of men and women. Uh, and we see here God's good created order of them. Uh, and first, he creates the man. So Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So then God placed him in the garden to work, and he said there, it's not good for the man to be alone. Right? The not goodness here, after everything so far has been good in creation, the not goodness should hit us like a shoulder charge in the head. Right? I've had some of those. It should just knock us, knock us around. Because something is not good in creation. And that is a big thing. Uh, And so what does God do? In response to the not good thing, God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So God is going to do something good when there is something not good. Now, helper here, you hear that word, you think, that's a put down. That's derogatory. It's not. Uh, Helper is not a comment on value or worth or anything like that. A helper is expressing the relationship between these two. This is a a relational word, uh, not a word about value or worth. This is someone to uh, work with Adam in his purpose, the the purposes that God has for humanity to accomplish in the earth, to fill it and subdue it, to rule over it. This is someone to work with Adam on that. But before God makes the helper, uh, he wants to make it clear uh, of how much we need the helper. Uh, He brings this parade of animals before Adam Uh, to see if there is a suitable helper. And this is not like some kind of audition, like as if, you know, the giraffe was going to be the suitable helper or something like that. It's not an audition. God's making it clear the helper does not exist yet. There is no helper that exists. And so God fixes that. He creates the woman. And we just see here what a perfect fit 
she is, uh, in the way that she is created. Uh, so Genesis chapter 2, 21 to 23. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So, so he, Adam, he, he gets it straight away. He's like, this is it. right? This is the one. Uh, this is the one who is, who is just like me, but not the same. Right? Just like me, not the same. Right? She is equal to Adam in that she's made of the same stuff. She is flesh and she is bones and she is equally made in the image of God. But she's also different. And you can see out there, she's not a man, not just another man, but she's a woman. And together, they perfectly complement one another. The thing that was not good is now good because the man and the woman are together. And so what we're seeing here is that God created us not to be alone, but to be in relationship with one another. And so it goes on to, in verse 24... It says, that is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Right? The relationship between men and women is uh, ultimately and, and, and most beautifully expressed in marriage. One man, one woman, uh, united or reunited in this one flesh relationship. Right? This is God's good created order for men and women. Right? Look at verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I hope they had some sun cream in the garden. Um, personally, uh, I would have been getting roasted if I were there. Um, have they been a shade? But it's, it's not talking about that. It's talking about how good is this picture. Right? How good were things in the beginning, the way God made things? Of course, we know that is not how things are now. And that is because of what happened in Genesis 3 when things were disordered in the fall. So we'll get to this next week. It's when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's good commands uh, by disobeying him, and a judgment came upon them. And a judgment that affected everything in creation, but it also affected their relationships. And so we see that in Genesis 3.16. Uh, this really pinpoints how the relationship between men and women is affected. So Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said... Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So this is, a, this is the disordered relationship between them now. The desire here that it's talking about is a sinful desire. Right? We, can, we can understand that because in Genesis 4-7, a bit later, when Cain is desiring to kill Abel, uh, God says this to him. He said, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And that's the same word being used there. And so the woman's desire here, her sinful desire, will be for her husband. In other words, that's saying it's a sinful desire to be the man, to be the husband, and not to be the woman that God created her to be. Right? It's, it's the reversal of the order, if you can see. Right? Rather than willingly accepting the husband's leadership, right, her desire will be to lead, to control, uh, to dominate, to manipulate that leadership in ways that are not good. 
And the man also, you can see there, he has sinful desire as well. His desire is that he will rule over her. So no longer will this man be a a loving and self-denying, giving leader, serving the woman, but he will use those powers that God has given him uh, to rule over her in selfish ways. So even though God has created men and women in, in his beautiful ordered relationships, the fall has disordered all those relationships, which is why things are the way they are today, because of sinful desires in the world. Now, as we think about that, the way things are today, even though this is the case, in the New Testament, when Jesus turns up, uh, we still see that God's good creation order is in effect. Nothing has changed in that regard. And we see Jesus, uh, when he talks about this, he affirms God's created order. And so we see that in Matthew 19, we read it this morning. Um, We see here Jesus affirming God's created order. So what happens in this story, you don't have to turn there, but what happens basically, the Pharisees come to Jesus, they've got a question about marriage and divorce, and and Jesus' response tells us so much about how he read the Bible and believed it. So Jesus, when they come to him with this question, he doesn't say, you know, well, what's the latest trend? Like, what what is the latest popular opinion on the matter? Now, Jesus goes back to the beginning. Jesus goes straight to Genesis 1 and 2. He says to them, haven't you read? See those first words? Haven't you read Genesis? Haven't you read the Bible? So Jesus quotes here Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 to give them their answer. So he says there, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So we can see there, just in that statement, Jesus affirms the two things we're talking about this morning. Right, human sexuality as male and female. He affirms that. Uh, And he also affirms marriage as an exclusive, lifelong union between a man and a woman, husband and wife. Jesus, he didn't sort of read Genesis and say, oh, no, you've got it all wrong. You know, science has disproved that understanding of people. You know, we we think something different now about marriage. Now, Jesus read the word of God, he believed the word of God, and he calls us to do the same as well. And if anyone was ever worthy of our trust, it is Jesus. Right? He, he is not trying to rob us. He's not trying to trick us. Right? Jesus loves us and he is a trustworthy person. And Jesus affirms God's created order. And so we should be listening to Jesus, to the word of God, uh, and believing it, responding with obedience to it. And so now I just want to continue to think about our response to these things, um, just to finish up. And it's got three things for us to be thinking about as we think about these big issues. Uh, The first one is, we must see that God's purposes for men and women and marriage are part of the created order. Okay, and that that order has been revealed for us in the word of God. Now, we might feel that pressure to change with the times, you might be feeling it, uh, because our views are the minority in the community. 
Um, the views of the Bible are probably the minority in your family, people that you're, you love. Um, you might be labelled as unloving. You might be labelled as sexist or bigoted. All right, and so there's a lot of pressure to conform to the way things are today. And, and you might be feeling that, but we must remember this has always been the case for God's people. They've always been surrounded by cultures and societies that disagreed with what God said but they always stood on the same rock and we stand on the same rock today and that is the word of God. The word of God revealed in the Bible, uh, the word of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the rock that we stand on and continue to stand on until Jesus returns. Uh, So remember that. Uh, But second, we must remember that we live in a fallen world. Um, sin has disordered and affected every part of creation. That's why things go wrong in the world. Things go wrong in our bodies and our minds and our relationships because uh, we're living in a world where we struggle with sin. And so it's okay to, to grieve that. It's okay to be sad about those things. Uh, it, it is okay to do that. It's okay to lament and to pray to God and to, just to grieve the destructiveness of sin in ourselves, in our relationships. Uh, That is an okay thing to do. And and we see the effects of sin all around us. Uh, We see it when it comes to to male and female, to gender. Um, Something we're seeing more of today is when, you know, someone's biological sex is not matching up with their subjective gender identity. And so we hear people saying today, you know, I'm, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And to our ears, it's like, yeah, I've heard that. And it sort, of, it sort of makes sense to our world when we hear that. Now, to, just to be clear, there's a small number of people for who their, their biological sex is ambiguous when they're born. And that's a small amount of people, and that's a, a result of the fall and a tough thing. But in most cases, what we're seeing is people who want to grant a final authority to their feelings, like to what they think in their minds and not what is objectively true about their bodies. And so what that is, is is granting that final authority to feelings when we should grant final authority to the word of God and submit ourselves to that and line ourselves up with that. As much as a struggle as that is, as hard as that is, we submit ourselves to the word of God. And our response to people who are struggling with that kind of um, issue is compassion. Right, it's, it's, it's an effect of the sin, it's a brokenness that they are experiencing and our desire for them, like our desire for everyone, is that they come to saving faith in Christ, that they come to him as they are, to the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. They come to him for forgiveness and they find rest for their soul. They take their yoke upon him, they learn from him, they grow and they change, but they come as they are, just like we did, and find forgiveness and then as Christians, we want to be those people who are expressing our, our gender, our maleness, our femaleness in ways that glorify God. We want to live together in a way, in that complementary way that God made us, that glorifies him, that shows the goodness of those things. So whether you're a son or a daughter, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, live in such a way that glorifies the God who made us that way for relationship. We also see the, uh, the effects of sin in marriage and sex. Uh, here's, a, here's a little statement that I think, you know, from the Bible um, tells us about marriage. 
Uh, the Bible teaches that marriage is a lifelong, exclusive sexual relationship between one man and one woman. Now, every single part of that sentence is under attack from our society when it comes to marriage. Uh, they, they disagree with that. Right? God joined men and women, sex and marriage together, and the world we live in wants to separate those things and find their own way in that area. And so what we must do as Christians is seek to honour God in our marriages, the way that he made them. All right, so husbands, as we read in Ephesians, husbands loving wives as Christ loved the church, giving yourself up for them, loving them, serving them, and wives willingly submitting to that loving leadership. Right, marriage done in that way, in that complementary way, is so good and it's so beautiful. And we should live in such a way that shows that to the world. Uh, there'll be times when we get it wrong, we repent, uh, we turn again for forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And just a quick note, we don't have to be married to be whole people. Uh, singleness is, is affirmed by the Bible. Nothing more spiritual about being married or being single. Um, wherever God has called you, whatever kind of life you are in, uh, glorify God in that place as a married person, as a single person. And the last thing we must remember Forgiveness and the new creation. It's two things, I tricked you. Forgiveness and the new creation. Right? Whatever we're struggling with, whatever kind of issues that we have in our world, whatever you have done against God, it is not the final word upon you and your life. Right? You can be completely forgiven through Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus came to reverse the effects of the fall. Right, he died and rose again to do away with sin uh, and to re-establish God's good order for us. Right, Jesus mends our broken bodies. He gives us life to the full. Right, so we can always come to Jesus finding forgiveness, finding rest for our souls in what he has done for us. And so if you're living in this world and you're finding things difficult, remember that forgiveness, but also remember where it ends. Like, remember the new creation. Uh, we are headed for a greater and more permanent world, ultimate rest with God. No more sin, no more suffering, no more confusion about these things. And that is coming for us. We need to remember that. And until we get there between now and then, what do we remember? We have this wonderful confidence that the God who made us loves us that Jesus is our saviour who is risen and we can stand on the rock of his word no matter what is going on around us and we can know we are safe in him until he returns again. We praise God for that. We thank him for that. Let's pray now and give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, we know... Uh, in our world, it is, a, it is a hard word to hear and a challenging word. But Father, we thank you that you speak. Uh, we thank you above all things that you love us. Uh, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for us and gives us new life. And Father, we just pray that as we deal with these things, uh, that you would lead us and teach us by your spirit, that you would help each of us uh, to be gracious and kind. Uh, and Lord, anyone who is struggling with these things, we pray they would come to know Jesus, know his forgiveness, uh, know the life that he brings and the healing 
uh, in his power. And we would look forward to that wonderful new creation that you have promised us, uh, that we are uh, really looking forward to. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.